There we go. Good morning, church. <laughs> John, thanks so much for that incredible uh, introduction. I really appreciate it. Um, I've told myself that maybe it's a good idea to never preach after the Springboks has played. And the reason I say that is because my throat takes quite a beating. Um, when, I watch, when I watch any type of sports, whether it's Manchester United playing or the Springboks playing, my, my throat takes a beating because I just can't contain my excitement when the game is on and my wife normally tells me just like, you know, just, just try to calm down a little bit, you know, it's not that exciting, it's only a game. And then I'm even more angry at that time. I'm, you know, everyone that knows the, the, the term, it's only a game. But anyway, just uh, this morning, I've, I've titled the sermon, The Power of Provision. And I, and I want to I wanna engage the room just for a moment. Who of you have heard of the term Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider? Just give me a bit of a... Okay, cool. All right, so most of, a, most of us has heard of the term. And who of you have prayed for anything in your entire life and God provided in some way or form? Okay, hold your hands up just for a second. I just want us to just look around the room just for a second. I just want, to, I just want us to understand that God is providing for each and every person in the world. Constantly, he's giving things. Constantly, he's, he's giving us the nurture that we need. He's giving us the love. He's giving us the, even the monetary gain, if that, were the, if that was the case. He provides for us. And even for you guys that, that had the baby dedication this morning, you would know if you were praying for a baby for a long time, if you were praying for just God to provide new life in and through your life, that's an amazing blessing and that's a way God provides for people. And such an incredible thing that we can celebrate that as a spiritual family, knowing that God is part of our lives. He's never distant. We don't, we don't worship a God that does not want anything to do with us or you know does not want a relationship with us or doesn't want intimacy with us we're worshiping a god that wants intimacy with us he wants to have a relationship with god uh, with us and he enjoys just being you know present in these moments as well being with us and and as we're speaking he is part of part of the service and uh, we always welcome him into the service but i would say most christians also unfortunately links the name jehovah jireh to God providing in some monetary gain or monetary way only. But we obviously know just by gauging the room that we've already seen that God provides in so much more ways. You know, he provides health we need it. If we know the amount of scares that we had just in, in terms of the COVID time and how God provided in and through those times, whether he provided food for people that need it, whether he provided just resources, money for people that were going through a tough stage, he was providing all along. He was part of our lives. He, we made it through it. If you're sitting here today, you made it through it. And that's an incredible thing. That's something that we can look back and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I'm just so thankful that we made it. But looking at the term, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, we need to go look just at the original meaning. And we find the original meaning in Genesis 22, where the original meaning says the Lord will provide. And I'll take you back to the, just the story in Genesis 22, verse 6 to 8. And this, this was speaking of a future tense occurrence where Abram had to apply some faith to what happened. So Genesis 2, verse 22 to 6, verse 6 to 8. It says the following, it says, And Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. 
And he took his hand, the, uh, the fire, and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abram, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abram said, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now just dissecting that scripture a little bit, you'll, you'll see there's some similarities or some things that stands out. The first one is that the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. If you think about the wood and Jesus on his way to Calvary, Jesus on his way to, 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 to be hung on a cross you know, the, with, the, with the wood on his back. And the second part is that, isn't it interesting that even in the scripture, Abram said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And if you know the story, obviously he didn't provide a lamb. He, he provided a ram. And the lamb is just this beautiful context. There's a, there's a future occurrence still to happen. And Abram applied the faith to it, saying that, Lord, I know you will provide. And that's why he called that mountain or that area, the Lord will provide. And if you know, eventually the temple was also built on that very place where Abram said the Lord will provide because his presence was with us. And that's the beauty of just the context there. And this was also the first time that God was called provider. And a declaration of faith was made that day in accordance with God's character and loving nature that God will provide. That is who he is. That is his character. That is, that is just the way God does things. And that's an amazing thing that even Abram said, I name this place God will provide out of faith. Today, it takes me to my second uh, point. It's just God does provide. And that's the second point that I want to touch on. We see that even the New Testament, 2,000 years later, from the time Abram lived, reminding us via, via Jesus himself that we should not be anxious about provision because God is still the provider. We see in the scripture, Matthew 6, verse 25 to 27. And Jesus reminding the crowd and the, and the disciples that, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour of his span of life? And thinking about the scriptures, that, that last question always catches me the most. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And I think about just maybe it's us in Gauteng. We have, we, we have this culture. Every time I go to Cape Town, I feel the people are so slow. You know, if, if you want to get work done, it always takes so long. And they always just, you know, it's almost like they're going nowhere slowly, you know. Um, I don't know if that's a Gauteng culture. Maybe that is a Gauteng culture. Um, but the reality is that if you think about how anxious we are in Gauteng, if you think about how anxious we are about many things, we stress about a lot of things, because if I don't drive the right time, I'm going to sit in traffic. And if I don't do certain deadlines or get to certain deadlines, I'm going to be in trouble maybe. You know, we, we're anxious about a lot of things. But there was, there was something that encouraged me in this week so much. I went to Estreto and I had, a, uh, I had a meeting there. And after I finished my meeting, I spoke to one of the car guards. He's a Zimbabwean guy and he came, obviously, to South Africa to have better opportunities. And he's actually a crane operator. That's what he does. You know, he, works for, he worked for a construction company until he was um, 
what do you call it, laid off or, or, or retrenched, that's the right word. Um, it, it, when, he, when he was retrenched, he had to look for something else, but his family and his kids, and he's looking after his family and kids, and, and he said, Morris, what do I do? What, did, what, what was my option? So I went into being a car guard and making sure that even, even if God just provides daily for me, that'll be enough. And he says, yes, I have many problems, Morris, but the one thing I can't complain about is the fact that I've never slept hungry ever. My family has been fed. I'm able to pay that 2,000 rand rent that I have to pay every month. And he was just opening up to me saying that I can pay all these things. I have the resources. I have the money. I have it like God provides for me every single day. I cannot complain. And that hit me. It hit me quite, quite hard that sometimes we, are, we think about our own lives and you think about the, the new car that you can't buy, the new house that you can't buy, the new iPhone you can't buy. And then I'm thinking just in my own life, why am I so ungrateful sometimes? Because he is grateful for the fact that he can provide for his family. And a car got salary. And he says, yes, potato, but some days it's just, it's tough. It's tough. He doesn't get a lot of money in, and you know. He, but but he says he ha- can't complain whatsoever because he can feed his family. And if that is all there was, then that's enough for him. And then it reminded me just of the the scripture further in Matthew six verse, verse thirty to thirty four, where Jesus again reminded the guys, and he said, "But if God so clothes the grass of the, of the field." which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, again, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And just in and out this scripture, I was realizing that rather than being anxious and worrying about where our next meal would come from or how we, we, we would be able to pay our bills, we, we should maybe just go and sit at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I just want to seek your presence. I just want to sit in your presence. Why? Because the Lord knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need. He is our heavenly father, and, his, and, and the, the context just behind it is that he's a father that looks out for his kids. He knows how to provide. We don't have to tell God how to provide, he knows. Sometimes we needed to be reminded of that. The next scripture was so profound, just how he taught the disciples, and in the moment of distress where they have all these people in front of them, and, and basically, I always see Jesus is, is humor in moments like these, and, you, and you'll understand what, what I mean now. Matthew 14, verse 16 to 21 says, But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> 5,000 people sitting in front of them without even the women <laughs> and the children counted. It's got an inter- interesting thing, and I just see Jesus, uh, he, he's, he's basically preparing something for them to realize of his provision. He's, he's preparing the foundation that they would understand that I am the provider, and I'm going to show you something. You hear the scripture, what it says. It says, they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, said bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to the heaven and said, a blessing. 
Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about five thousand men besides the women and children. Isn't it amazing that Jesus is just showing them something that I'm the one that provides. I know you have human limitations. I know you maybe can't provide, but I can. Just trust me. Let me do this. It's what I can do. It's amazing. And the big idea here is that God is able to take what we have and multiply, multiply it greatly in order to accomplish his greater purposes. The purpose behind provision is to serve a much greater purpose. That's the thing. If we think about the kingdom of God and how he provides for us on a day-to-day basis, when he provides for us, it's always for a greater purpose so that the kingdom can benefit. It's never just so that we can be enriched. It's never just so that we can just enjoy the worldly pleasures and the desires that comes with it. Yes, there is a part that we can enjoy that, but that's not why he provides. And that takes me to my, second, to my, to my next point. God did provide. If we think about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it was and will always be the most valuable manner of provision that he can ever give, and that's eternal life. And it doesn't even matter what happens on earth, the fact that, that if we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior in, an hour, in our own lives, we've already received the best provision that we've ever could. God has already provided we are going to be in eternal life. It doesn't even matter what the turmoil or circumstances or situations is we may face in this world. The fact of the matter is the moment I close my eyes, I'm in a better place. God has provided. And we all know the scripture, John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him we should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order, order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this scripture speaks of a past event where God did provide the ultimate provision. And we might need to be reminded of that so many times that God has done it already. He's already provided for us more than enough than we ever could. My next point speaks about God actively provides today or actively provides daily. When we think about just God's provision today, we need to view life through the lens of God owns everything and therefore we are only stewarding God's possessions. We need to change our view. We need to understand that we own nothing in this world. God is the owner of all things. And the moment that kicks in in our own lives, we would start stewarding our money. We would start stewarding our resources in a much different manner because we realize that God owns everything. I need to steward the money as best possible I could. I need to steward my resources as best possible I could. And even in this moment where we had a baby dedication, I need to steward just what I learn or teach my kids one day. I need to be a steward of that. That's the way God provides as well. And in our world today, when we speak about money, money is the litmus test of our faithfulness. God uses it more than any other thing in our lives today to test faith. And you might ask why. Why is that? It's because it's the thing we have the hardest time with. If you think about money, it's in general. If you would like to see someone's character, just touch their wallet. <laughs> see what happens. 
I know there's, a, there's one of the pastors in America that had a, had a service, and I found it quite funny when I, when I saw it. Uh, he was asking the people in, 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 the, in the crowds to say, okay, guys, we're going to give our tithes and offerings today, but I want you to reach into the guys next to you, wallet, and give a nice you know, tithe and offering, the one that you would give if it was not your money. <laughs> and obviously the people were like, no, 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 no please don't, please don't do that. Um, but the reality is, if we think about it, if we, if we saw it from a perspective that God owns everything, we would definitely already have a better mindset with regards to just the way we steward our finances. But there's something funny I want to just tell of my, out of my own experience. And, and I think we all know someone who, when you need to pay something at a restaurant, then suddenly they forgot to bring their wallet. Anyone? Anyone that has a friend like that, you know someone like that is like, mm, sorry, man, I'll, I'll, I'll catch the next one. I'll, I'll, I'll catch the next one. They always, the wallet is never there. You know, they, they, they like the, the, the things the world offers, but the, but the money is not there. They don't, they don't want to pay for it. Or the friend that tips badly. Hmm. Anyone know one that, like that? No, let's name and shame. I was just joking. Don't do that. Um, but it's one of those things where I, one of my friends really tips badly. I won't, I won't name names. But, but when we go to a restaurant and he's paying, I'm always scared because, you know, I bring like a few extra bucks on the side, like a 50 bucks or something. And then after he tips, I'll say, thank you, waiter. And then I'll just like, yeah, thank you very much. Eh? Thanks. And just give him a 50 bucks there or something. Thank you for the great service, whatever, because I know he tips badly. But I also have one friend, and this was the funniest for me in my own life, is that we have a friend that, first and foremost, he's always late for a bride. And uh, we had a pizza night or something like and, and, and we invite We invite uh, him and his wife quite often. But he never pays his share, which was communicated previously or prior to the to the to the kair. We would we would arrange a kair and he would he would come, you know, hour and a half late and, and then he would you know there would be pizza. I don't know how the pizza got there because we did you know we did prior speak about it. we're gonna all club in for this pizza and then he would eat and, and, and he would just enjoy and then they would leave early as well and never pay their share. Okay. But here's the reality we can see a lot about a person's character to a certain extent if you touch their wallet if it comes to money it's almost like the test it's a test of how someone would be faithful or not and you may ask why is that it's because that if we look at just the objective from God's perspective is that if we trust God with what he entrusted to us we will see God accomplish far more than we could ever than we ever could on our own in trusting God, there is a great promise that we will have more than enough so that we can be generous at all times and in all ways. That's God's perspective. It's the fact that we can have, be generous at all times and in all ways. And here's the thing. God is, not, God is not against us having lots of money. He is against the abuse of money towards worldly pleasures, pleasures and desires. And that's worth mentioning again. Why? Because he knows, Matthew 6, it's the same scripture. He says, for, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He knows that. He knows the fear that, oh, he knows the reality that people would always desire something or they would have, they would want something. And, and that's why he says that there where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He knows the, the danger behind it. But today I want to I specifically put a practical spin on the sermon this morning. 
by showing you how God has provided for the Jews as they followed biblical principles over many generations. And I always find it as a fun way of just explaining how did God provide for the Jews over so many generations and how he was so faithful with it, just with certain principles and things that he put on the table for them to obey. Who of you have heard of the jar principle that the Jews use? The jar principle, you've maybe heard the fact that they put money in certain jars. Da, da, da. Okay, so some of you, I see there's a few hands that, that use it. But let me give you some stats. So in 2009, Jews were 0.2% of the world's population, but yet they owned 33% of its riches. Just want you to let that kick in for a moment. In 2009, Jews were 0.2%, it's not 2%, 0.2% of the world's population, yet they owned 33% of its riches. And then I started thinking, like, why is this? I want to study this a bit. I want to, I want to see what is the reason they do things the way they do. Where did they get it? Some of them, some of the principles that they, that they, that they have today is from Scripture, and I'll give you the Scriptures as well. But they, they followed the jar principle from a very young age. And let's just say for the sake of the argument, this is jars, okay? What they do from, I'm going to say the age of six, it can be any age, but whatever age you want to give your, your children an allowance of any sort, okay? Sakgeld, if you call it like that, all right? So what they would do is they live according to the jar principle. Firstly, they started with... They, can, they only live on 50% of their income, okay? Anyone here that can live on 50% of their income currently? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not in that boat, okay? I'm just, I'm asking, okay? So 50% of the income. So they only live on 50% of the income, and then they do the following with the jars. 10%, so let's, I'm going to take 100 rand as an example. So now you give your kid 100 rand at the age of six, and he would, he would take 50 rand, put it, put it aside. That will be the money that he uses uh, for his day-to-day things on a monthly basis, okay. Then he would take 10 rand. This will go into the saving jar, okay. That will just be for saving money, 10%. Then he will take 10%, and this will be his generosity jar, okay, meaning that jar he can use for any purpose he would like. So let's say, for example, he goes to school, and he, one of his friends can't buy a uh, 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 toasted cheese, uh, you know, at, at the Snoopy, for example, at the, at the tuck shop, okay? Now, uh, his friend had, didn't bring food as well, so he doesn't have food, and now he feels the unction to say, okay, I would love to just give my friend the 10 rand so that he can buy himself a toasted cheese. Now, obviously, I know a toasted cheese is not 10 rand, but just say for the sake of the argument that that is what he would like to do. Then, they take another 10%, and they use it towards... I did say tithing, right? Okay, tithing. Thank you very much. Okay, then they use 10% for tithing. So 10% generosity, 10% saving, 10% for tithing, and 20% for investment. Okay, so 20 rand would go in there. So here's the thing. If you think about investment and saving, they save about 30% of the entire income. Okay, that because if you take the investment and you take the saving, it's about 30%. If you take the other 2%, oh, sorry, the other 2, the 10% uh, saving, no, sorry, the 10% generosity and the 10% tithing, they give away 20% of the income. 
So what does it mean for them? It means that they don't like the idea that money would have a hold over them. Therefore, they would give 20% of it away. 30% they would just save and they would live on 50% of their salaries. Okay. Here's the other thing they do. Once the, the kid that they've taught the, the, the jar principle reaches the age of, age of 18, they would make sure that if they buy a house eventually, they would give them 50 percent of the houses like price for example so let's say you know the kid marries he goes and buys a house and the house is million rand for example he the the parents would say okay here's 50 percent up front there's your five hundred thousand. you can use it towards the deposit if you would like you can do it whichever way you would like and that's the way they do it so then I asked myself, where do they get it? How do, how do we get to this point? Why did they do this, for example? Because they read scriptures, for example, like Proverbs 13, verse 22, where it says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. They follow a principle that leaving or blessing two generations after them. And that's why if we look at today, if they, if they followed this principle so long, so so many generations, that's why they earn or own 33% of the world's riches. So why am I telling you this? I'm not communicating this because I think you have to apply these, you have to apply these principles in your own life. I'm merely advocating that we can learn from the Jews in terms of how they manage their finances from what God gave. Just principles in general. Things that God was saying, I want to provide for many, many generations. And there's certain things that I'll put in place to help you to do those things. And it might help the next generation or two generations after that. So I want us to just do a quick recap just of the sermon. The first one is that there's a promise that God will always provide for us. Secondly, there's an assurance that God already provided for us through the atonement of Jesus. And lastly... There is evidence that God still provides for us on a daily basis. And the fact that we all put our hands up was a te great testimony of that. Saying that, Lord, you still provide in our day-to-day -day lives. You are still active and alive in our, in, our, in our own lives. You are part of it. So therefore, this, this, this morning I want to ask just uh, the band to come up. And I want uh, to, that, that song that says, Great is thy faithfulness. Sorry, not the one, the great is your faithfulness, sorry, the, first, the second last one. If we can maybe just do a declaration of, of faith, but also of thankfulness this morning, saying that, Lord, I am so thankful for what you've provided for me over these, uh, over these few years or past years. I'm so faith, great, uh, grateful for the fact that you were part of my life all along. You were part of my journey. You've provided for me all along. And the two questions that I want to ask is a ministry moment. I want to ask, in what areas of your life have you missed God's provision and you became mindful of them maybe during this sermon? Areas that you've, that you've missed maybe, but you've, that you haven't thought of in a long time. The fact that you think your kids are just there and it's just common courtesy. No, the kids, kids were a blessing. They're part of your life. There's something special in your life. But the second question is, what are areas of your life are you not stewarding your, the resources God entrusted unto you? Can I ask that just this morning that we, we just take a moment and be so thankful just for how God has provided for us.
in our own lives and think about those things and thank God for those things, whatever it may be. Thanks so much.